But people ask, you know, why is the DA's office involved in homelessness? It's a social services issue. And yes, it is. But unfortunately, this has clearly become not just a humanitarian issue and a crisis, but also a public safety crisis. Welcome to Crime News Insider. This is Jorge Del Portillo. And with us, as always, is Lori Hoff. How are you doing, Lori? Hi, Jorge. Nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. We are back. We are now past our 21 episodes. I've read somewhere that when you hit 21 episodes, most podcasts die and we're still going. So you made it. That's a good thing. Um, and with this special episode, we wanted to bring back a, our first repeat and three-peat guest, District Attorney Summer Stevan. She was re-elected in 2022 to a new term as District Attorney of San Diego County. And quite notably, she ran unopposed, which is nearly unheard of in this day and of age. So I guess that needs no introduction. You could go back and listen to episodes 11 and 16, where she was our guest. Summer Stefan, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you. Thank you so much. So why do you think you ran unopposed in a county? I mean, so many counties have people spending lots of money to run against uh, sitting DAs, and you ran unopposed in this last election. Do you have any thoughts behind that? I really think it's because I have a great team. Um, the DA's office has a thousand professionals and uh, 330 deputy district attorneys. We take so much care in the people that we bring in. We believe that we become a family and we make each other better. Um, so we bring people already in that are exceptional, but then they learn together and they grow together. There is so much generosity of heart that's offered by the senior members of the team to grow the team. And I think that one of the things that makes our team and, and really allowed me as the leader of the team to possibly be the reason why I ran unopposed is that we are really seeking the public good. And we refused, um, I refused as the leader and the office refused as ministers of justice to play politics with people's safety. We refused to go with slogans because what people really needed was real solutions and justice and care and compassion and accountability. They didn't need slogans. They needed to stay. We needed to stay away from politics, just focus on the job. That's what we did every single day for four years. And I think that, honestly, the community out there was craving that. They are tired, I believe, of divisive politics. And what they want is a, an institution that they can trust in, that is part of the community, that rolls up our sleeves and works with the community to make our community safer, to make our community thrive. Absolutely. I, I think I think you'd hit the nail on the head because a lot of people don't understand that the district attorney's position is nonpartisan. We're supposed to be above politics. We never look to the political party of our victims or anything like that or the defendant, you know. So I I, I think I think that's a good take on, on why you ran out of post. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I've tried to analyze it. Of course, I'll, I'll take whatever luck we got, but <laughs> I, I'm told that, uh, that it's got to be more than that because, you know, it's kind of unheard of to have an uncontested election for a big office like ours. But I do think that, you know, we followed the rule of law and we did this formula that should not be unique, but for whatever reason, it seems like it's become more and more unique, which is that we believe that a modern day prosecutor, you know, the way that they do the job is by protecting victims' rights, protecting the right of the community to be safe and protecting the right of the accused. So we believe that you can, and I think we've demonstrated that you can do all three with excellence without deciding that one right is less important than another. Yeah, I think you're right. You're right about that. But I think you're not giving yourself enough credit. And in the spirit of Women's History Month and honoring women this month, I think, you know, we take just take a minute and say you have demonstrated for us what a good leader is in so many ways and have, I think, just even the way you you were a prosecutor before you even took this position. But in everything that you've done, you have done it with excellence and you've been a good example for all of us. I know from just being a baby DA and watching you, it's always been, we, we do the right thing. And, you know, that has been the message and caring for victims and caring for, you know, the rights of the accused has always been what you know, you have taught from the beginning and having you now at the leadership level of making sure that we all follow that rubric, I think shouldn't be refreshing, like you said, but but is refreshing in this climate that we live in. So we just think it's a just an amazing honor to have you as our leader, but also just just a tremendous moment to to look and say you ran unopposed, but you also accomplished so much in the last four years, which is kind of crazy when you think about all the things that that our office has done in four years it would take probably too long to run through it all but if you were to pick like you know the highlight reel of the last four years what would you say you're most proud of yeah it has been an amazing four years and thank you thank you for that Lori. you're are a superstar in Jorge to just incredible every week delivering justice for our victims. Uh, It's easy to lead people uh, of this quality. But, you know, I will I will take a little bit of credit in that I I did work tirelessly. You know, it was it was a hundred hour week day, you know, week in, week out. And during the last challenges of the last years, it only made it harder uh, with COVID and everything else going on. I think what we did is we set a course and um, this while we had to adjust on the course with everything that came our way, we knew that justice couldn't really uh, wait, you know, it, it crime was still happening, victims were still getting harmed. So we didn't have the option We had to be there. We had to be in the game every single day. In fact, uh, I think I would say we were needed more than ever. So we didn't have a chance as a team to say, well, we'll we'll get back to the the business of justice, you know, when um, we have a vaccine or when COVID clears or whatever, whatever thing that that others might have the luxury to do. So we set a strategic course when I began my first term in 2018. 
and we stayed on that course. Yes, we addressed everything else, but the number one thing was to keep San Diego one of the safest urban counties in America and to do it through ethical prosecution, through preventing harm, protecting victims. We did that. And at the end of the day, when you look at the data and the statistics, while crime did go up because of you know the different things out of our control, like some of the rules regarding zero bail, the capacity in the jail, we fared really well as a region. We did not see the skyrocketing crime, the, the homicides, the violence, the, uh, the horrific images of smashing grabs of stores. We fought back. We fought back every step of the way with this team to protect our community from that. So I would say accomplishing that, staying true to the mission was a huge accomplishment in the face of everything. But we also set a course to build a family justice center in the North County where we have a million people that we're serving. We did that because we knew that in the North County region, we had disproportionately higher rates of domestic violence, homicide, elder abuse, human trafficking activity. And we knew that what we needed is more violence prevention along the way resources. So being able to still stay on course and open on July 5th of 2022, this state of the art that's being called the best in its class, one safe place in the North County is a huge accomplishment. The number tells the story. We've had 2,000 victims of crime take advantage and get their life on a course towards the peace and dignity they deserve. We've had 1,200 returning victims, meaning they felt the love, they felt the trust, they felt the resources all in one place. We had one um, little kiddo say on his way out, this mom, this is my favorite place in the whole world. Wow. And we all thought Disneyland was supposed to be <laughs> that for children. But to have that feeling of absolute peace and safety, you know, we call it a center of hope, healing and justice and bringing all three pillars together. I think this will be continue to be the gift that keeps on giving to our community. We also uh, set a course um, to make sure that the organized retail theft that was running rampant was stopped. We formed a team with Anna Wynn and an amazing prosecutor and others to fight back against it. And as soon as the word got out, you know, we're going to find you and we're going to prosecute you. I think we saw that that activity just did not have the same sea legs as we saw in other regions. We continued to fight back. And even as, as in the midst of it, in 2021, we recommitted to our school threats protocol. As schools began to open and we saw threats to schools begin to expand because kids um, that were suffering from trauma and unchecked mental health were coming back and causing really serious threats to our schools. Uh, we made sure that we recommitted and that we made our protocol even better, our protocol to protect our students, our teachers, our staff. And this is unique. This is a protocol that came out of the 
real experience that I had prosecuting the last school shooting we had in San Diego in 2010, we created this protocol with all 42 school districts. Hmm. It's very unique in that, you know, is anything foolproof in terms of threat assessment and stopping a threat from coming live? Probably not, sadly, but we firmly believe that we have averted disaster. We have averted threats from coming live and resulting in a school shooting through this very evidence-based, methodical school threats protocol that everyone committed to. The schools, law enforcement, prosecutors, mental health professionals, all working together. And I just saw in the news, actually, just this week, we're recording this March 17th, 2023, that the FBI and our office, your office, uh, recently held this school threat assessment conference at One Safe Place. Can you talk about that? Yes, because this is a work in progress that continues. So this was incredible. It was about 200 people in a room, the FBI, the DA's office, the U.S. Attorney's office, and uh, the National a threat assessment center by the Secret Service, the U.S. Secret Service that tracks all of the threats across the United States and takes lessons from them and creates best practices. Their director came out as well. So this this is was all the top people coming together with the school superintendents, a security folks, law enforcement, all in one room and working together on what is really working for us in San Diego? Where are some gaps that we can improve upon? We heard from all the different partners, our office led by Andrea Lopez. And, you know, I had a chance to tell everybody, you know, where we are and where we'd like to continue to travel towards, which is a, a an ultimate safe schools uh, environment where parents don't have to worry in the morning about whether um, their kids are going to be safe in their schools. It's really awesome. And it's just, um, it's what one of the things that I think also sets you apart is you, you do a couple of things. You listen to all this, this, what you call stakeholders on a particular issue and you bring everybody together and you, you listen to what the needs are. And like you said, what the gaps are, and then you know, moving forward, it's, it's a team effort because we know we can't prosecute our way out of these very serious issues. But when we work as a team, you have demonstrated that that is where success is. And I think you're doing it on the homeless front too, because there's that intersection between homelessness and the criminal justice system. Can you talk about that and what, what your goals are with that? You know, that the thing that that I'm just um, so honored to serve in this position is I love my job every day being in the courtroom, trying my cases one at a time, looking in the eyes of victims. That is just um, such such an honor of my lifetime. But what I do get to do now, like you mentioned, Lori, is really listen to the community and to the stakeholders and to the experts and um, have the use the power that I have as a way to synergize and to create systemic change in systems that might make the future generation safer, like our school threats protocol. Interesting that in before I go to homelessness in this last one, I want to keep her name confidential, but the mother of 
a shooter uh, spoke to us about oh. all the different signs. And this is years after the shooting and sure. it was a San Diego shooting, but she felt it and it, it, it on her heart, she lost her son and others died at the hands of her son. But she had the courage to look back and see where were all the different signs that were missed? Yeah. Where did systems fail? And um, to really listen to her um, helped, um, helped us develop also a path forward for even earlier detection of training parents on different signs and what to do. In the area of homelessness, similarly, it's listening to the lived experience voices, the actual stakeholders that are doing the work on the ground of trying to shelter the homeless. But people ask, you know, why is the DA's office involved in homelessness? It's a social services issue. And yes, it is. But unfortunately, this has clearly become not just a humanitarian issue and a crisis, but also a public safety crisis. What we did is we we heard anecdotally that this was happening, that that folks who are experiencing homelessness were dying at much higher rates of overdose, that they were being victimized at much higher rates, and that they were also involved in criminal activity at much higher rate. But we didn't have the data. So we set out for two years to gather the data so that our response, our solutions are based in real facts, not you know guessing. And we, we saw that very clearly this pattern emerged. We've got homelessness driven by poverty, by trauma, by domestic violence victims escaping abuse, by human trafficking, by youth being thrown out because they're LGBTQ or something else by, by their parents or escaping early childhood sexualization. But we also saw this intersection along with that of 118 times the overdose death rate amongst our homeless population, especially with fentanyl. We saw that our um, homeless population is dying at 25 times the rate or victims of attempt murder and sexual assault and other things. We see cruel people for fun beating up our homeless elderly folks. But we also saw that there's an intersection between residential burglaries, arson, serious assaults, robberies driven by the need to feed the substance abuse addiction, uh, mental health unchecked, untreated issues. So we clearly saw that we needed to act. So we looked around, we did what we always do, which is to listen intently, not to have a plan before we really hear everybody out. And we learned that when it comes to sheltering our homeless population, that the system is failing. It doesn't work, that they're using sticky notes to find out who to call to provide shelter, uh, you know, then finding out that that shelter is not available or is not suitable because it's like a second level bunk. Mm -hmm. But you have to, the person is disabled. They can't mm -hmm. climb to a second bunk. Mm -hmm. Simple things that 
we had the privilege of learning that we could do better for our victims. We were able to bring technology through a very old and established uh, nonprofit that provides technology for other nonprofits to thrive. We were able to bring down the time of sheltering our domestic violence victims from 10 days to eight minutes with an 80% match. So it occurred to me after listening to everybody to get on the horn and say, could we expand this effort that we did for our victim population to a wider homeless, more complex population? Mm -hmm. And the answer is definitively yes. And I'm very excited about this. The design was done by the stakeholders. Just this week, we were able to bring that to the board of supervisors unanimous vote. Awesome. So appreciative, but it's because it is hard to turn down something that comes from the ground up that mm-hmm. is has its roots in the reality of the situation and, and has no political influences because none of these issues should be political. They're about solving difficult issues, making the community safer and healthier. So we're very excited. We think in six months, we're going to roll out and uh, we're hoping what we're going to do is if more efficiently shelter people that need shelter. That way they can get their mental health treatment and their substance abuse treatment. Can't do that when you're on the street, because all you have is these Um, dealers that are preying on their addiction right outside the encampments and also find out who can't we shelter and why? Because it means it's on us, on government to to make sure we build it. I mean, that's such an innovative idea using Mm -hmm. what an app that we're already using for victims and now expanding it to see if we could shelter uh, unhoused people. And that's why the board of supervisors unanimously adopted it. I think that's just a brilliant, brilliant idea. So, uh, and, and again, it's a testament to being that modern day prosecutor that you set out to be. So Summer Seven, thank you so much. Uh, and again, congratulations on your reelection for what's now a six year term with a quirk in the law, but uh, congratulations on your, re- your reelection. Thank you. And, and thank you for all that you do. And thank you for having me on during Women's History uh, Month. We have so many amazing examples in, in history, but the fight for women's rights has to continue because the UN had a report that showed that, you know, around the world, women's rights and girls' rights you know, are still in trouble. They're, they're not where they need mm-hmm. to be. And I know this is something that our office focuses on equality, equity for everyone. So thank you for having me again. Absolutely. Thank you so much. But you're not done, Summer. Jorge has something special in order for you, for yes. both of us, really. Aww. I know I know. the last time you said you don't like quizzes, uh, but we <laughs> end the show on a light note and we look at the laws in the books. And each week I come up with three laws. Two are real. One is fake. And you have to decide which one is the fake. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Uh, here we go. And this is a, a prosecutor theme, as you could tell. A, the youngest district attorney in San Diego history was William McNeely, 21 years old, elected in 1870. B, in England and Wales, 
the common law right to pursue a, a private prosecution was repealed by UK Parliament in 2017. And C, the United States is the only country in the world where citizens elect their district attorneys. Two are real, one is fake, and you have to pick which one is the fake. Summer, I will have you go first. Uh, I think the fake is B. B, in England and Wales, the right to pursue private prosecution was repealed. All right. Any thoughts behind that? It just seems like they would have repealed it a lot earlier. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's, that's a good guess. <laughs> it's a really bad idea to have <laughs> private prosecution. <laughs> I know. It's, un it's unthinkable to us. Right. Okay. So B, uh, Lori, what do you think? Gosh, it also seems crazy to think that C is true that the United States is the only country in the world where citizens elect their DAs, but maybe that is true. Okay, I'm going to go with Summer. B. B. False. Okay, you're, you're both all in. So let's go to uh, C. The United States is the only country in the world where citizens elected district attorneys. Both of you think this is real, and this is real. According to a Yale Law Journal that I found online, there's some other countries that maybe have judges who have a prosecutorial function. But according to this Yale Law Journal review, United States is the only one where we elect them. They're usually appointed. So good on us for having that. Uh, let's go to A. The youngest DA in San Diego history was William McNeely, 21 years old, elected in 1870. Both of you think this is true. 21 years old. And this one is true. 21 years old. You are both correct. Wow. Uh, this 21. is according to, uh, I found it on Wikipedia, but I also found it on our DA website. We had a whole history of DAs uh, uh, just showing their history. He was 21. He was a DA for three years and then became a judge. So uh, wow. I was I was still in college in tw uh, 21. <laughs> that means B in England and Wales, the common law right to pursue private prosecution was repealed. That is the fake because it has never been repealed. And you can pursue private prosecution wow. in England and Wales. You have to have permission under Section 6.1 of the Prosecution of Offenses Act of 1985. You still have that right to pursue a private prosecution. And even in some states in the United States, you can, a citizen, a private citizen can file an affidavit, sign an arrest warrant, file a criminal complaint. And with the permission of a prosecutor in Pennsylvania, for example, you can pursue a private prosecution. It's it's unheard of. I, I never knew that until looking this up. Wow. Yeah. So it so it turns out to be oh wow it's the, the opposite the opposite. Right. You, yeah. So you got the right answer. But, but for, Larry, we were right. That's all that right. matters. That's, that's <laughs> all that matters. So everyone that's listening in England and Wales, you're all prosecutors just like us. <laughs> well, thank you so much again, Summer Stefan. I really appreciate you coming on this podcast. It's an honor to have you on here, and it's an honor to have you as our district attorney. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. We are, we're so grateful to have you and come on anytime. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Take care and have a great day. Thank Thanks. you. Lori, thank you as always. And thank you to all of our listeners out there. Remember to follow us on social media and you can find a link in the show notes. And until next time, this is the Crime News Insider Podcast. on this podcast are solely of the speakers and do not reflect the views of the Deputy DA Association nor the District Attorney. 
questions and comments can be sent to crimenewsinsider at gmail.com. Please leave a rating and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this show. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at San Diego DDAs. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.